Thursday, Thursday, Thursday! Prepare to have your minds annihilated as Patreon proudly presents the Creators Collective Podcast featuring the Breaker of Boards, James Wright, the Melder of the Metal, Zach Herberhold, and the leveler of lumber, William Walker. The first five live listeners will get the free special bonus of having their questions answered on air. Now on with the mayhem. And we're back for another exciting episode of the Creators Collective. And this will be a particularly special week as we have our guest this week. We have uh, Rex Kruger from the YouTube channel, Rex Kruger. <laughs> i love it when people actually have their name as their channel it just makes things so much easier some dumb people out there like to do something like wood by right and, and then it gets confusing well i have thought about different channel names and at a certain point i was like wait i'm named rex kruger i need to just go with that yeah yeah good name you should yeah, have games right there's already like five channels you You're should like wear a, a black hair. and red striped uh sweatshirt in all of your videos <laughs> Cool. Well, I do want to say a huge thank you to our patrons on Patreon, particularly our newest patron, Matt Banj. Banj, I'm guessing I'm, I'm probably slaughtering your name, but thank you, Matt. And if you'd like to find out more about that, you can join us on patreon.com slash creators collective. Also, you can listen to us live on YouTube uh, every Thursday. Well, usually every Thursday. And as long as someone doesn't mess up thinking it's Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. That's why we didn't have it last week. Uh, but that is uh, Creators Collective on YouTube. And uh, I think that's about it. Let's jump into this show. So we do have a special guest, uh, Rex, and uh, he's got a, a new book out, actually. And so we want to actually talk about making as well as making a book. That's something that's kind of a little bit different. So if anyone live has questions you'd like to ask him, go ahead and throw those in live chat, and we will add those to the list. So uh, Rex, why don't you start, start us off telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, so yeah, I'm a woodworker and I make content. I've been doing those things for about three years. <clears throat> Pardon me, I had a big career change about three years ago. Uh, I actually used to be a college professor and um, that ended up being an awful job. So after 11 years of preparing for that profession, I bailed out and started doing this for a living instead. Um, and now I make, I do custom work and I make videos for YouTube, and I just recently wrote a book about wood turning. Sweetness. What uh, What did you teach? I taught English. Uh, specifically, I taught writing at the University of California. Oh, okay. So where <clears throat> where are you out of then? Right. Uh, so I'm from Connecticut originally, then Florida. So I feel your pain on that. I lived in Florida <laughs> for five years, and I lived in Gainesville, which was a great town, but Florida is a miserable state. And I did Did you I'm get sorry. a nickel tattooed on your elbow? No, I didn't get any tattoos and I didn't drink any moonshine, but I also got out of Florida as soon as I could. Yeah. And I lived in California for a while and now I live in Ohio. How, how I just want to know, like, what, what was your opinion of living in this, this, this long phallic state? I think it's a lot uh, the same as yours is I didn't, I hated the weather. Um, and coming from Connecticut, like I was just used to four seasons and I was used to a certain lifestyle. And I always found Florida to just be like, I just never adapted to it. It was always gross and it was sort of unpleasant. And I would hit like going from place to place. I would hit some small towns and small town Florida is terrifying. I'm not even going to pretend like it, it can be redneck central there. And it is banjo chainsaw country. In my opinion, I feel like there's like two <laughs> kinds of rednecks, right? <laughs> there's two kinds. I like, I like how we took 
two minutes we went from intro to florida bashing God, I know, that's my favorite experience. pastime it's the only it you know what since there's no activity or recreation for me to do here i can't like mountain bike i can't hike like all the outdoorsy stuff i don't want to canoe in 120 degree weather that's like all you get here and i don't want that i don't enjoy it so like the only hobby i really have until i get back into the woods and the mountains is bashing florida that's taken place that's my recreation other than being out in the shop so i'm gonna take i grew up in the woods in connecticut and so when i visited northern ohio for the first time i was like oh my god it looks like connecticut but there's an economy i think i'll (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah but i mean i think there's really two kinds of rednecks there's there's one kind of redneck that I have respect for. You have like the industrious, like kind of innovative, like moonshiner, oh, do it yourself, you know, like make things happen, redneck. And then you have like the, you know, don't have a job, um, probably a little bit too familiar with, um, you know, family members, and I don't know, like there's that kind, and, and most of like that's the kind that we have down here. It's not like the, you know, hey, I can fix a tractor with a coat hanger and duct tape. It's like I can fix my i'm not gonna finish that sentence but fixing something familial with a coat hanger and duct tape i know we want to it would have been a great joke but it is definitely not appropriate for this i know we want to move it along but i have to tell a super quick redneck anecdote which uh, i belong to a blacksmithing club and i was talking to one of my friends at the club the other day and i said oh how did you get started with smithing and he said oh i needed to make hinges for my moonshine shack see that's cool that but that was officially the most redneck thing I, I had ever heard in but my entire that, life. That's like the that's the the you know, like the creative, I don't want to say artistic redneck, but that's like you know, the industrious, yeah, like I'm gonna make stuff, I'm gonna figure out how to you know, if you can make a still, like I have respect I haven't done that. That's cool. Like you you have to be able to you have to know some things to do that. He said the shine was very good. I'll take his yeah. word for it. But. I mean, like to you know, to to pretend like you're applying for jobs and live off of state aid indefinitely. Um, and you know, Confederate flags everywhere that, that that's a different kind of redneck that anyway, I'm done. <laughs> so Rex, uh, what you've been working on? Uh, so I just finished a six part series. I built my own wood lathe, uh, like a powered electric lathe with multi speeds and all of that stuff. That was a big, that was a project. It took me six weeks and um, I, I did it more or less to see if I could and because I thought it would interest people. And I built it out of, almost entirely out of stuff I pulled out of dumpsters. So I spent I had less than $100 building a full-size wood lathe. And I just finished that. And then just this weekend, I made this rounding hammer with a couple of friends of mine who are sort of my blacksmithing mentors. Man, I, I saw that on your, uh, on your Instagram. That thing turned oh. out very well and you guys you guys uh i mean you used a uh, top and bottom tooling and like hand struck all of those um oh god no we used the hydraulic press for a time oh I, I swore i saw a video on your thing where you guys were like actually striking in the folders so we did that to get the drifts off because the drifts would get stuck in the eye oh um and so we did some hand striking for that we did do some of the fullering by hand but especially the cheeking and stuff, that was all done on the hydraulic Yeah, that press. thing looks, I mean, that looks really good. I'm really excited about it. I haven't actually gotten forged with it yet, but it feels great. It's a good weight. There, um, there's like two just, and a half pounds. You know, and, and I think that, I, I think that we have a few things in common because you've kind of, you've, uh, you know, done woodworking and, and you do wood and kind of the, seems like the blacksmithing is something that you're kind of getting more and more into. Very much. There is something that, I mean, from before I got into blacksmithing and, and all of that, if I looked at, I guess if I could remove myself from actually being invested into making, 
and you look at stuff, it's really easy woodworking and metal fabrication stuff. It's very clean. It's very, it's very easy to make a nice looking thing like forging and blacksmithing stuff. It's usually not, I mean, if you're not a, if you're, once you start forging, I feel like you have a whole new appreciation for forged items because you realize how difficult it is to make them. But from an outsider's perspective, I think it'd be really easy to look at forged things and blacksmith things. You'd be like, oh, that's ugly and unrefined. I'm not into it. I but, find uh, blacksmithing to be much more difficult than woodworking. Yes. Like I, I pretty I, much taught myself woodworking. I taught myself wood turning. I never had any instruction in that. And it wasn't very hard. If I had tried to teach myself blacksmithing, I never would have gotten anywhere. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't done a lot of blacksmithing. I've only done a couple pieces. But what I've done reminds me a lot of carving because mm. it's very freeform. There, there's yeah. nothing to hold it to. It's just it it flows. I think that's why I've gotten like sucked into it. It's, it's because I feel like I hardly get better at it and that's frustrating and I'm motivated by failure like that is my biggest motivator oh, if I if I do 100%. something and it's not up to my standards I get pissed off and I will stay out there all night long until I get it acceptable and with I mean I don't want to I'm not like discrediting you know metal fab or woodworking because that's certainly a part of it but for me forging is like exponentially more difficult like it's just and it doesn't seem like it would be hard but you know what you want to do and trying to get it to that, that point. And for me, it's just, it's always a challenge. Every time I go out into the shop, there's like, I'm right outside of my ability. I'm just on the cusp and I feel like I'm never quite where I want to be. And that that's for me, that's a motivating factor to keep with it and stick with it and keep doing it. So when I started welding a few years ago, I was shocked at how similar it was to woodworking. You're cutting things to a line and you're doing joinery yeah. and it's very geometric and it wasn't very difficult. Mm -hmm. And then I start blacksmithing. It was completely different. Yeah. They're like not even similar. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, I tell people for me, it's like, I'll, I'll invest into some particular thing until I'm just good enough to make a lot of money at it. And as soon as I'm to that point where I'm like, this could be profitable, I'm good enough. I'm efficient enough. As soon as I get to that point, I quit it and try and learn something that I'm terrible at, which That's is like a the worst business strategy. Yeah, it's the worst You're business. Obviously, going to make a lot of money with that. Yeah, it's the worst strategy ever. But uh, I mean, <laughs> fortunately. Fortunately, I mean, it, that's where my interest is, though. I mean, I I think that's why I've always hated every job I've had is because um, it becomes routine. And as soon as it's routine, it doesn't matter how good for me, how good I am at it. As soon as it's the the creativity and the, you know, the, the excitement of doing something new, as soon as that's gone, I want to do something else, which is terrible for business. But for my sanity and my interest, it's it always keeps me wanting more. Yeah. And thank God for, you know, YouTube and Instagram and, and the, all the all the um, the outlets that, you know, I and a lot of us have to actually uh, um, help us <laughs> help us do that for a living. It's really amazing. Hey, uh, what's everybody else working on? Yeah, Zach, what you got? <laughs> I just I just got done talking. Let me catch my breath. <laughs> you guys, nobody wants to listen Jamie. to you again. Well, um, I actually, I'm finally getting around to restoring the scroll saw. Um, so I put out a video like eight, nine months ago showing off the scroll saw that I just purchased and asking for a few, uh, if anyone had any information on pieces I was missing for it. And I found um, a good friend down in, uh, uh, I think he's in Virginia, actually, um, Ed. And he actually collects 
foot powered tools. And so he was able to send me a few parts and I'm getting this thing up and going and I'm having a blast working on this. And later today, I'm going to start working on making the flywheel for it. And so this will be a, a ton of fun. And so if you don't understand what it is, it's, it's basically, it looks like a really large scroll saw, but underneath it, there is a three foot diameter flywheel and then two pedals that you're pumping while you're running the thing. Is it missing the flywheel? Yes. Um, so I and bought it. How are you going to fabricate that? What's that? How are you going to fabricate the flywheel? Um, well, I'm not going to, uh, what I would want to do if I had the time and money and everything was into it was to do a pattern workers job and make a wooden pattern that I could then take to a foundry and cast into a flywheel. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Um, and so one of these days I'd like to do that, but I want to get the scroll saw up and running uh, before I have time to do that. <laughs> so I'm actually going to be making a wooden flywheel and surprisingly, um, Oak is uh, oak flywheel. If it's if it's solid, is a very similar weight to the cast iron flywheel because the cast iron flywheel is a fairly uh, delicate thing with these thin spokes coming out. Mm. Um, and so weight wise, it can be very similar. It just it'll look kind of odd because the rest of it is this massive cast iron beast with a wooden wheel. Um, so I'm going to do that first and and show how to make a flywheel. You know, if you don't have one, you don't have to cast one. You can make one out of wood. Uh, just takes a little bit different uh, approach to it. And then maybe sometime in the future, I will then do the pattern maker's work and actually make a wooden one to cast. But we'll see how that goes. So hopefully in the next week or two, I'll have this beast up and running. Uh, but I just put out a video on making the pedals, the struts, um, the, the connectors that go from the, the pedal to the flywheel to actually drive it. It's sort of too bad you don't live in the Cleveland area because we have no shortage of foundries around here that could probably take that work. It would not, like there's several within like driving distance of my house. Well, I, I've had so, I've had several people contact me who either work at or own and they're like, hey, we can do it for you. And I'd be like, cool. That's um, amazing. And the, the, the pedal <clears throat> bases actually, um, Ed um, took his pedal bases and actually cast those as a pattern. So I have um, castings of the original uh, for those, but for the flywheel, it's a little different beast. So you're in Cleveland, huh? Yeah, I live in Cleveland Heights, so just outside the city. Home of Lincoln Electric. Home of Lincoln Electric, yeah. And somehow I did not hear about that massive get together of everyone who I sort of worship in my hometown until days afterwards. Uh, so I, I was there. I, I know I could have met you. I could have met Jimmy. I could have met like a million people from YouTube who I'm really invested in and I've been watching their content forever. And it was days after it was over that I first heard about it because apparently I'm an idiot. So I've got some news for you, my friend. We're doing another one. Well, have you heard of the spring make 2019? Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. Um, I don't know the details. I think they're just, they're just kind of launching that. Um, so for anybody who's interested, uh, it, it's kind of the same. For anybody who knows about WorkbenchCon or who went last year, it's pretty much the same thing, but it's more like uh, metal working or metal fabrication. There's some blacksmithing courses that actually um, Brett uh, McAfee, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy's buddy, um, we're, we're actually going to be teaching that. So is uh, Tommy 
or not Tommy Hunton, um, Tommy Matthews of uh, Crooked River Forge, who is on Forge and Fire. So we're going to be doing some forging stuff up there. There's going to be a lot of metal fab stuff. I know Jimmy, and it's going to be a really big thing. So if anybody's interested in that, that's going to be Cleveland uh, sometime this spring. I think if you just type in spring make 29, get some details. I'll be so, there. Yeah, tickets. I think tickets are a little bit, uh, I mean, they're. I, I don't want to say they're cheap, but I think it's going to be really a really good um opportunity to to get some hands on i i know craig the the lincoln electric guy really well and kind of his his idea is to throw something together that's actually more hands-on so if you're new to you know metal fab or you you know want to learn how to weld you actually get some time behind a welder and leave hopefully with the confidence of you know feeling like and i think there's some more advanced stuff there so i don't know all the details but just putting it out there for people who are maybe Sweet. interested <laughs> Joe Pierce in the the live chat says, James, you could make an epoxy river flywheel. <laughs> it's not the worst idea I ever heard, like making the pattern and then just casting it out of epoxy with That'd some reinforcement, play. like put rebar in it or something. That's not a terrible idea. Cool. Oh, yeah. And the other thing I had going on, I forget, I believe we were at, um, I, the strops. Um, so I, I did a run of strops a couple weeks ago, and they all sold out in under an hour of saying that, hey, they're for sale. Um, so this time I made a batch of well over a hundred and, uh, they're almost all gone. I put them up yesterday and I think I have like 20 left for sale. Um, so if anyone wants them, they are still there, uh, but they are horse butt straps and a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, Will, what you got? Uh, well, uh, am I robotish or am I sounding okay? Not bad. Okay. All right. Good for so you. So Rex. You're like Rex. bionically enhanced, not full robot. Okay, cool. All right. Um, so I uh, I kind of changed it up a little bit uh, this last week and got into some uh, more mechanical stuff. So uh, my in-laws were in town, and I've got this 72 Honda CT70 that's been kicking around my house for a while. I used to ride it when I was a kid. Uh, and he might have been a gearhead, and so he said, well, let's tear this thing down, get it and I think it'd be kind of fun around like uh pretty familiar with with stroke engines and working on chainsaws and stuff like that but when it comes to four stroke engines I I'm I'm pretty well a novice uh <laughs> and I wouldn't even call myself a shade tree mechanic um but <laughs> but uh but he is a total gearhead so we broke the thing down took the cylinder head off uh freed up the piston uh, got everything running kind of smooth, uh, and then I'm just waiting on some parts, uh, some points, and a condenser um, to get the whole the whole thing running again. But I'm uh, I'm having a lot of uh, education. Uh, so then he then they went back uh, to California and left me back in my shop where I actually had to get some work done, working on these 13 foot long walnut bar tops and they are a huge pain in the tookest uh i mean just the jointing and planing 13 foot long boards and actually getting a decent reference like surface and they're unwieldy and uh so i did the first glue up of the longest bar top yesterday afternoon and i'm hoping to get all that stuff out of my shop next week um so then i can move on to a pocket knife display case that is a commission out of and that one i'm pretty excited about because they pretty much gave me free reign to do whatever i want like 
they kind of give me some parameters about the size that they want to do. Um, but all the creative touches, all the joinery, everything in it is basically, I get to do whatever I want. Um, so those are no projects. No one ever says that to me as a commission. No one's ever like, here's the thing, but do what you want. Be creative. That's never happened to me ever. It sounds wonderful. Good for you. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, mostly, <laughs> those are my favorite commissions. Those are, those are my favorite commissions. Where somebody goes, those are pretty much the only ones I take at this point. Did we really? Well? No, I'm here. Can you hear no. me? Every now and then. We get oh about God. half of what you say. Yeah. yeah, that's about my wife, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, I'll tell you what. You guys uh, keep talking about what you're doing. I'm going to go reset my Wi-Fi, and I'll be back in three, three minutes. Well, what you got, Zach? Uh, so let's see. What do I have? Um, I, I have such <clears throat> – my memory's awful. Um, I've been busy and I'm very forgetful when I'm busy and I'm not a good multitasker and I've been doing a lot of that. So, um, got a week. What have I done in the past week? Uh, forged out some more hammers, a whole bunch of hammers. And, um, it's funny cause I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm really excited to do something new. I've made like almost, well, I think I'm at like 55 or something. And like 90% of those have been rounding hammers. I really want to, take some time and develop a cross peen that's like a unique cross peen because i know a lot of people like cross peens and uh every time i almost get caught up to orders and i'm like okay i'm finally going to get out there and, and design some new styles like i just get blasted with more orders so i need to like just just start booking further out and give myself some time so i've been forging hammers uh can i break in just for a quick sec yeah absolutely um, I know that the cross peen is a really common design, but I think if you want one to sell, you might think about developing a straight peen. So for people who don't know, the cross peen has a, a, a thinner section, almost a chisel point that goes perpendicular to the hammer and a straight peen, it's parallel. And I've used a straight peen hammer a few times. I find them really convenient and easy to use and they're much harder to lay hands on. You can find cross peen hammers at flea markets, yeah. but straight peen hammers are pretty rare. I want one really badly at the moment, and it's something to definitely think about I mean, is developing yeah, a straight oh, peen. Design. I mean, once I think they'll be the same style. Like, yeah. I, I have an idea in my head. I just haven't had a chance to actually go knock it out, but I think I'll be able to use the same style, and it's just what which direction I'll end up tapering the, the peen or the ops. But, um, uh, yeah, so... Uh, you know, I need to do that. I feel like everybody, it's, it's funny. I feel like everybody who gets into, um, blacksmithing, I think people just think rounding hammers are ugly. So everybody wants a cross peen cooler looking or something. I don't know. I'm a rounding hammer guy. Like that's, I mean, there's certainly use for like, I've been doing some more knife forging lately and I will say, I think as much as I hate to admit it, because I love my rounding hammer for everything that I do, but I think for for knife forging, there's certainly the uh, uh, cross peen is certainly use useful. I've used it on. So here's one that I forged yesterday. It's actually Damascus, but you can't you can't see it. Uh, you can't see the etch because it's just out of heat treatment. But the heel here, like when you're trying to pull move material and kind of move it in a certain direction. I had to use a cross peen to pull that heel out. So um, I certainly think, you know, that that kind of stuff is useful for for more of that. But for general forging and ornamental stuff and moving metal, I really, really like uh, rounding hammers. So that's kind of what I've been up to, what I plan on doing. And here's some really big news, too. I'm actually going to put out a YouTube video today. I'm editing <laughs> it right now. Uh, so that's going to happen. It's been... 
I don't even know. I think it's been since October since I put out a video, which is the longest I've ever gone. And I keep getting, I was saying before the podcast, I'm getting tons of emails now, people asking me if I've quit YouTube. Um, no, but I definitely took a break. It was really nice to, you know, I got into this because I like being in the shop and I like getting in that that zone where, you know, you're so invested into what you're doing that you forget to eat. And before you know it, the day's <laughs> over and you're not done with your work yet. That's that's what I love about me. And uh, it's really easy to get wrapped up for me to get more wrapped up if I'm if I have the camera around me in my tiny shop and trying to move a tripod around, which is a nightmare. My lighting's terrible. So just trying to set up all the stuff to record and then edit the video. I don't love doing it. I really don't. I mean, it's it's not bad, but I much prefer working in the shop and just getting completely lost in what I'm doing. So I guess I took, you know, three, four months off to just kind of get back to that and really develop a new skill set and and focus on learning instead of producing. So uh, it was really nice to do that. And like I said, I, all of my money the past three months has come from forging hammers and selling them, which was a nice break from, you know, cranking out sponsored content. So um, it was nice. And it was nice to prove to myself that I can still, you know, make money on my own. So, but I do have a new video coming out probably within an hour or so after this podcast. I just uh, finished editing it and it's going to go live. I also have, I think, the best hammer I've ever forged that I'm going to be putting up for auction on my Instagram right after the podcast as well. Hammer number 50, which I made exactly to my own favorite personal specifications. I actually really want to keep it for myself legitimately. I made it like <laughs> a month ago and I'm going to take all of it just turned out perfect. Um, I really, I really do. I really, it's a, what's that? It's driving up the price now. I, I can't hear you. <laughs> and I agree. You're selling the heck out of it. I want to look at it now. Uh, I, I mean, I am not trying to, I, I honestly like really want it. Like it's, I, so I have number 14 that I forge. That's my main forging hammer. It's kind of the same style, but this one is just, I mean, it's 30 some iterations better and it's just, it just turned out perfect. So if it, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I like it. I'm going to take all the measurements so that I can make another one for myself. Anyway, that's uh, that's what I'm up to. So stay Ooh. tuned for a new YouTube video. Well, um, that's actually, I have a couple questions for you, Rex. Um, particularly, I'm interested in, uh, I mean, you just wrote a book on setting up a, a turning shop. Yeah. And I'm more interested in the, the, the book process itself. Well, I mean, what all do you do to self-publish a book? That sounds like an interesting making experience. Can I describe the book really quickly? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the book is called One Week to Wood Turning, and you can grab that on Amazon or you can go to rexkruger.com slash book and check it out there. And what happened with the book development is I thought, oh, I should do a video about all the things you need for wood turning because I bought a lathe and I was like, great, I'm ready to start wood turning. Oh, wait, I need some tools. Oh, wait, I need a grinder. Oh, wait, I need a hone. Oh, wait, I need a jig. And the process of oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait took me literally six months from buying the lathe to when I actually started turning something. And I couldn't find any resources that really spelled it out clearly. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna make a video about this. And then I thought, no, that'll be a two-part, five-part, 
15, oh, the heck with it, I'm just going to write a book. Um, <laughs> it just seemed to be the sort of thing that would be so much better suited to a book format because there's so many lists and checklists and pictures of things and comparisons that the video format didn't lend itself to it at all. And so I was able to write a book that's 150 pages long, so it's got a lot of detail, but it's digestible length. It's packed with illustrations and diagrams. And so instead of a video where you'd have to pause something all the time, you can flip back and forth easily and you can mull over the details. So it should make the process of setting up the shop like very painless for people. And the idea is that with the knowledge, you could do it in a week. Um, <clears throat> so the question you asked though was, what was the process? Um, you know, it's funny because I have an English background and a writing background and I've, I've done a ton of it. So I thought, oh, that'll be easy. And writing the manuscript was easy. I wrote the book in like three weeks, just cranking it out a couple hours every morning. And then I got the manuscript done and I was like, I'm 90% done. This is amazing. I'm going to write two or three books a year. And that was five months ago. <laughs> and the book just came out because the photography, the layout, the formatting, the cover, uh, getting it up on Amazon, promoting it. I mean, it ended up being a, a really big undertaking and just writing it was maybe less than half of the process. Yeah, my wife is a, uh, she's a multi-published author. She writes mostly like children's books and stuff. Huh. And so the process there, I mean, most of her stuff has to go through illustrators. And yeah, she'll write a book. She'll literally write, well, I mean, she's written books, but like the kids' books, she'll write them in a day. The whole thing and then it takes you know four five six months before it's actually like available on amazon so yeah it's 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 quite the process the one thing i would say about the process is that these days it's become incredibly democratized like if you want to write a book you can i did the whole thing myself except for the cover and that was also my only expense. I had a great guy named Iron Gordon, and you can check him out on Instagram and YouTube. He does great old style lettering, and he did the cover for it. That was 150 bucks, and that was my only cost in bringing the book to market. Wow. So I got a book published for $150. And if I were a better graphic designer, I could have done it for $0. Huh. So in, in that way, I would really wow. recommend it. The one thing that I had going for me is that not only am I, like I'm a decent writer, I just mean from a technical perspective, like I know where the commas and the periods go. Um, and then I have a lot of people in my, what about the semi uh, in my life. Yeah, I don't want to go around saying I'm a great writer in like a Hemingway <laughs> fashion, I don't mean that. Um, but I know, I know where to stick stuff. And um, my wife and a lot of my former colleagues are fantastic editors and proofreaders. So I just asked, actually the deal was, if you do this for me, I'll never ask again. And so I sent it out to a couple of my uh, friends and colleagues and they proofread it for me. Because um, ironically, even though I'm an English teacher, I'm also dyslexic. So the spelling was, <laughs> and, and other things were sort of problematic in there. So they fixed that up for me and I got the cover done. I did all the photography and layout myself, which was an absolutely agonizing process. It took forever. Um, but then when I got it done and got it up, uh, the great thing about digital publishing in particular is that it never goes out of print and it's never out of stock. And uh, in theory, I can sell this book for the rest of my life, which is really attractive. So I'm going to try to talk. Hopefully you can hear me, everybody. Yeah. Right. Sounds pretty good. Okay, good. Um, so Rex, I read your book last night. Um, oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I have to say, from um, a detective, you know, I'm, oh, did you lose me again? No, you're back. Go ahead. Ah, 
from a Turner's perspective, I think it is a great book. Uh, I was expecting to read it and agree with you on some things, uh, but I, I, I think getting up and started turning is a great kind of manual, uh, you know, from starting with nothing to, to turning. Uh, the only thing I disagreed with was putting a Jacob's Chuck before a Jawed Chuck and not including a bowl gouge uh, in your top five starter tools. Oh, yeah. And those are definitely things that are, are open to opinion. Um, I turned a ton of bowls before I even owned a bowl gouge. I used a tool called an Oland tool that you can make yourself. And um, the thing about the Oland tool that's great is it's pretty much catch proof. You really can't catch it on the wood. And so even though I've turned dozens and dozens of bowls, I only got my first bowl gouge like four months ago. So to me, it's kind of a, a luxury tool because there's other tools that will turn a bowl safely, but more slowly. Um, and I also just didn't have a jaw chuck for a long time. I got by with a faceplate. So it, that's just stuff that reflects my experience. And I can definitely see somebody wanting to go a different direction, getting the jaw chuck first or getting the, but also the jaw chuck is very expensive. Whereas a Jacob's Chuck, you can get an offshore one for like 30 bucks that's completely decent. Chuck, you can get for like 100 bucks. So, and I think it's way more versatile. But, but now I think we're getting into semantics and, you know, personal experience and stuff like that. Um, yeah, how do you sharpen a chisel? <laughs> that's, that's not even <laughs> but I'm, I'm very glad that you like the book. I really appreciate that another Turner appreciates it. Yeah, I thought it was, I was, it was far more thorough I did, like, than I was anticipating. And it's it's like you said, there's no real book out there that gets you up and running, and and people that have uh, you know other interests in selling you things. Oh, you need this, you need this, you need this, and you don't. And I thought it was a really good way to get up and running. Um, and yeah, just kudos. I I I went into it, you know, because I was going to kind of grill you on the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're welcome to. Uh, it's cool. No, that's kind of what I do. Um, no, I was going to grill you, but uh, no, I thought it was really, really well thought out. Um, and uh, you had one sentence in there that I didn't, that I think it was just a very uh, definite statement. You said that oh, all yeah, turners, okay. uh, you said that all turners learn spin. I bet you're saying all turners learn spin work first and then bowl work. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, and I don't I don't think that's necessarily true. Huh. Um, I turned a chisel handle and went, yeah, cool, spindle turnings, whatever. Let's get into some bowls um, because that's what interested me. Like, I don't ever see myself turning a pen, or um, I do spindle work to make money, like pedestal legs and things like that. Sure. But um, like my shop meditation is is bowl turning. So, um, but anyway, that's just a. You know? No, and it definitely shows the diversity of experience. I'm not super interested in spindle turning. I mostly do it for tool handles and stuff, but I did a lot of spindle turning before I did my first bowl. I think because I had the impression that bowl turning was very dangerous. Turns out that's kind of half true, um, and you can turn bowls pretty safely. I have had some mishaps with bowls that have been, I don't know if you can see, I actually have a scar on my forehead right there. And that's actually a bowl. Um, Here's a tip for you guys. Turn with a face shield on. Safety glasses are not adequate. Or you can get a spring pole lathe and not have to worry about it. What happened? What's the story? Uh, well, I mean, I was turning a spalted maple 
hollow form of Oz probably. And um, I had the lathe set much, much too high and I did have it in a chuck and I came in for a hollowing cut and I got a bad catch and I was standing out of the way trying to be safe, but the, the form bounced off the ways and then hit me in the head. Ooh. And it's the only, I've been turning for years. It's the only time I've had an injury like that, but it was like somebody hit me in the head with a baseball bat. You and know, it bled a lot. I, I feel like I've seen so many people, like so many, all of the videos that I've seen when something blows up and ends up hitting the person, it always blows up, bounces off the wall right behind the lathe and then smacks people in the face. Yeah. So if you have a big enough shop, don't put your lathe next to the wall. <laughs> well, it wasn't the I wall, it was the ways. That. It bounced off the ways of the lathe and then bounced straight up oh. at me. Um, and there's even a, there's a smear of green paint on the piece, so I can, I can tell exactly what happened. And I was trying to be safe and trying to stand out of the way, and, uh, but I'll take full responsibility. I was cutting it too fast, and then I also I had a catch, and I had to stop and readjust the chuck, and I was like, oh, that's annoying, it caught. What I should have thought to myself is, gee, what I'm doing is wrong. I should change what I'm doing before I get beamed in the head with a 15-pound chunk of maple. <laughs> that would have been the correct way of looking at that. So I, I want to say uh, I really like in your book your take on carbide versus high-speed steel tools. Um, and I completely love high-speed steel tool turner. Traditional tool user myself, uh, I actually like but it's a motivator to learn how to sharp a dull gouge will catch fiercely. Um, and yeah, and then when you turn to the sharp gouge, you're like, oh, this is way better. Yeah, and just, just to flesh out what Will is saying a little bit, um, I get into the debate about whether people should use carbide tools or high-speed steel tools. I have a couple carbide tools that I made, which I think is an excellent idea, by the way. Most of the commercial ones are much too expensive for what you get. Um, I bought carbide inserts at a machine shop, super cheap, and made my own tools for peanuts. I use those tools all the time, and I really like them. But I think starting with carbide tools is a bad move because you're always tied to buying the inserts. And if you do a lot of turning, that's going to be pricey, and it also limits the cuts you can make. They're a great addition to the toolkit. I don't. I wouldn't see why anybody wouldn't have one or two. I turned an Ipe vase a while ago, and that was so hard that without carbide, I never could have turned it realistically. But for 95% of what I do, I'm a high-speed steel guy, especially because you can change the geometry of your tool. You can recut it to a different shape, and you can do that on the fly. Carbide is just, it's, it's much more limiting that way. You're stuck with that geometry. So what's, what's your, uh, your bang for the buck, best bang for the buck, high speed steel, like set or brand that you go with. That's, that's like a, not too crappy and not, uh, you know, overly unnecessarily expensive. Is there like a good, good standard that you guys. Yeah, so for spindle tools, um, I've used a couple of hurricane tools, which you can get on Amazon really inexpensively. Mm -hmm. And I like them. And then all of my bowl gouges, I actually bought from a more experienced turner in my blacksmith club. And they're all Sorby, Robert Sorby bowl gouges. Mm -hmm. And even though the Sorby ones go for about 80 bucks a pop, you really only need one when you're starting out. I have two that I use a lot, but that's a kind of a convenience. And 80 bucks for a good bowl gouge that will last you a long time and really holds a good edge. 
I'm super cheap. I'm like, I, that's kind of like the, the, the theme of my channel. I'm the cheapskate woodworker. Um, but I, I love my sorby gouges and I, I would stick with them. I think they're very reasonable, medium price tools. Mm -hmm. I would say, uh, I haven't tried the sorby. I've been wanting, I've been eyeing them as well as works and, you know, some of the other high end ones. Um, but I actually have the five eighths inch hurricane bowl gouge and it's, it's pretty quality for, and, and holds a decent edge. So, uh, so there's another good, um, Hey James, you turn on a spring pole wave. What tools are realistic when you're turning that at that velocity? What can you use? You can use anything. Um, I, I, the the hook knives are really nice because you can go at a much, much slower speed. And so you can actually slow it down so you can see the rotation. Um, but I mean, on, on smaller items, I can actually get it up to around 1,000 to 2,000 RPM. Um, and so it just depends on the, the dolly. That's uh, as the, fast as my electric light goes. The, the, the interesting thing is, though, that um, as I, 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 I used to turn on a, a powered lathe and I, I got very much into high speed edges, and, and that's, that's what I like to turn with. But when I got to the spring pole lathe, um, anytime I'm doing something larger with a really hard wood, um, like uh, I did some uh, uh, African blackwood, I, I just could not get the edge I was looking for with a, with a good sharpened edge. And I found that even on a spring pole lathe, I really like using the carbide bits, really? which was very, very surprising to me. Now on the, on the, the softer woods, um, you know, your, your, your maple, your oak, um, anything that and softer, the, the cutting edge is, is much, much superior. But on the, the hard woods, um, anything, anything over maple, um, I really like using the carbide bits. I bet with that lathe too, you could use older carbon steel tools and they work great. Oh yeah. Whereas yeah, the yeah. electric lathe, they just, they dull too quickly. I see them at estate yeah. sales and I'm like, oh, lathe tools. And then I'm like, oh, they're carbon steel. Yeah. They're going to be more trouble than they're worth. No, I have, uh, my bull gouge is a sorby, um, but my, uh, my regular are just a, uh, a simple carbon steel like I have in my plane irons because I, I sharpen them with a diamond paddle. I don't sharpen them on a grinder. I'm surprised you're not like flint napping your own tools. <laughs> I actually want to do a video on that sometime. I feel like you guys know, know the story of actually how, how James and I came to know one another is yes. I actually I actually <laughs> made a video uh, mocking him. Oh, um, really? Not just mocking him, but I was talking about the bench grinder and how I think everybody needs to have one. And I said, everybody should have a bench grinder, even if they're hand tool only. And I said, this is what happens if you don't have a bench grinder. And I cut to James on the floor of his shop, kneeling on a piece of sandpaper, grinding a plane iron by hand on a piece of sandpaper. And I cut back to me and I said, dude, you've got to be effing kidding me. And I beeped out. It's the only time I've ever sworn on one of my videos. And I, I beeped it out. And James, I have to admit, is a prince, saw that and got in touch with me and said, hey, that was funny. We should do a collaboration. And I was like, I'm surprised you don't want to fight me. I was just an absolute jerk to you. I couldn't believe it. And he's been he's been an incredibly gracious guy to know on YouTube and a little bit of a, a little bit of a mentor to me. And if somebody had approached me that way, I would have been like you, out back. Let's go. <laughs> cool. Well, I think we're running a little low on time, so let's skip the uh, creators photo challenge for this week. You guys have one more week to get that in, and you're going for Boca. So uh, put that as a hashtag creators photo challenge on Instagram, and we'll be judging you next week. Um, uh, yeah, what were we doing? What are we watching reading? Um, Will, what you got? 
so um, not much. <laughs> uh, so I'm reading a lot. I've got a lot of books. Uh, I got the new um, Mike Pekovich, Why and How. Got a signed copy for Christmas. Uh, and so that's been a beautiful book. Uh, anybody who's listened to this show before, Pekovich fanboy. Um, and I'm, I'm watching uh, Donnie Boy on YouTube who does some uh, small engine mechanics T70 that I'm rebuilding. And uh, that's, yeah, that's kind of a slow week for me. Um, what about what about you cool. guys? Rex, what you got? Uh, so for reading, I just got the book. It's called Hands Employed Aright. And it's a Lost Art Press book. If anybody doesn't know Lost Art Press, they're by Good. far... They're, they're the source of my favorite woodworking books. I do uh, book reviews for my Patreon page a lot of the time. And I have to admit, I think most woodworking books I read aren't super good. And I Lost Art Press, Press really fires on our, all cylinders. And Hands Employed to Write is about a minister in the 1800s in Maine who supplemented his income with furniture making. And he uh, kept journals obsessively. And because he was in a small, isolated town, almost all of his furniture still exists in that town. So uh, one of the guys who writes Mortis and Tenon magazine went up there, checked out all the furniture, read through thousands of pages of his journal, and wrote a sort of woodworking biography, uh, including going into the shop and trying out this guy's particular techniques. And it's just, it's engrossing beyond description. So it's called Hands Employed Right. Huh. Uh, and for stuff I've been watching, I've been watching the sci-fi show Van Helsing which is sort of a low-rent version of The Walking Dead, but with vampires. And it should be terrible, but instead it's actually great. So that's the thing I've been watching recently. Very cool. I've really wanted to, and it's been on my list for a while, and for some reason it keeps slipping me by. I, I read a lot. I really want to get the um, By Hand and I book from Lost Art Press. It's excellent. I have it, and it really did change my mind about a lot of things. I bet it's something that, um, that James likes. Yeah. I've got a copy. No, it's, it's one of the one of the like I have I have like six books on my shelf, and that's one of them. Cool. Well, I have to say um, I have a video that I, I watched. Oh, I don't know, seven eight years ago on YouTube um, called "Grinding the Crack" by Jeb Corliss. He's a uh, um, uh, of all the of all the things he could have named his book. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I, endless combinations of words and those are the ones he chose it sounds, um, like, a, it sounds like a 90s r&b song i think that was on boys to men's second record yeah uh, right before bump and grind <laughs> uh, he's, okay. he's actually a wingsuit um parachute um and he flies down this canyon in a wingsuit and is literally feet off the ground. Um, absolutely incredible video. And every now and then I go back to it and it's, it's something whenever I'm down or I'm just not feeling, uh, feeling up to doing something, it's, it's video that I watch regularly. Um, just very inspiring. Um, so yeah, definitely got to check out his channel. It's nothing to do with making, but uh, a lot of fun to watch. Awesome. You got Zach? Uh, um, yeah, that kind of. I'm 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 reading a, another reading another book. On, it's I might be the same one I was reading last time. Uh, it's called Emotional Design by I think Don Norman, and it's okay. It's not great. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 he he wrote another one that everybody raves about, and I read that, and I wasn't crazy about it either. Um, 
the design of everyday things. And oh, I mean, I actually like that book a lot. God, I thought it was, I mean, it's not that it didn't have, I don't like the way he presents things, I guess. All right, outside, let's go. Well, I mean, there's good information there, but it's like, I, it's not an entertaining read. Not that I read things necessarily to be entertained if it's informational, but like there's there's definitely a compromise. I read that book during my dissertation and I, it's actually in my dissertation and that's, I, I wasn't reading it to be entertained. I needed some facts out of it. And so I was in a very different mode of thinking when I read it. Well, you know, his, he's got these two books on design, but I feel like at heart, he's more of a psychologist than a designer because all of everything that he has design is all kind of more related. And he goes off on these like rants and I'm like, wait a minute, this book is about design. Like every same as the first book. I'm like, what I've read like six pages and it's like one big paragraph. There's like, you know, it's like he just goes off on a tangent and it's all about like, you know, visceral and uh, you know, all this, like he, he goes, it, it kind of shoehorns into design, but it's kind of, I feel like it's more of like a, a tertiary, um, you know, uh, facet of design. So I don't know. I mean, it, I'm saying that I'm not saying that there's not good information in there. It's just kind of like it happens too often where I'll get like two or three pages into a rant. And I'm like, this is a book. I'm still reading a book on design, right? <laughs> it's not actually like for me, a book on design is, is usually about like, lines and uh you know form and shape and dimensions and influence and inspiration most of his books are they're more like you know about human nature and and i don't know <laughs> it's I, i'm not saying like i said they're, they're worth reading i'm not like knocking it it's just I, i'm ex i'm excited to finish it and move on to the next book that's i'll leave it at that which since i don't think we've done this since christmas um i got the anvils in america book by Neil Postman, and I'm excited to do that. It's it's like it's like eight hundred dollars. It's absurdly expensive. It's not really wow. that high. It's like a hundred. I don't know. Wow. It's like hundred bucks or something like that. But it's uh really cool. I mean, it goes through the history of uh, anvils in America, and even before that, a lot of probably the most comprehensive anvil book out there, and a lot of other stuff too. There's just a lot of things. I haven't I haven't started it yet, but I've thumbed through it, and it what I. I think it's really neat. It has all the old like signage and advertisements from like the, you know, Anvil company you know, 200 years ago. And it's, it's pretty neat. So very cool. Oh, I forgot the uh, joke of the week. This one is from uh, hand plane pastor. I had been feeling really bad recently. So I went to the doctor and after a bunch of tests, he suggested I get my DNA sequence. When the results came back, <coughs> he looked at them and with a sad face, he said, I'm sorry, but it appears the problem is your DNA is backwards. I looked at him confused and said, and <laughs> I see. Uh, yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> I think it's funnier if you see it written out. Yes. So, uh, yes, if you'd like to have your joke uh, submitted, uh, put that in. We have a list of quite a few, um, and we'll be getting to them. So That's a good one. Cool. Well, what's your favorite product of the week, Zach? Uh, God, I had one too. Somebody else go first. There's one. I made a mental note in the shop the other day and I totally forgot what it was because that's what I do. Oh, what about you? Will? Ooh, ooh, I have one. Uh, so a hand impact driver, uh, which I was unfamiliar with until my father-in-law was in town and we were working on this bike and there's there a lot of corrosion in the bike and, and like locked fasteners and things. And we went and picked one of these up for like 10 bucks and, uh, 
you you kind of preload it in whichever direction the screw needs to turn. So um, usually lefty loosey, uh, and then you smack it on the end with a hammer, and it uh, does a really good job at freeing up a, a seized screw or machine screw or something like that. And uh, I could see it being used for uh, restoring old machines and things like that um, without stripping, having to figure out another way to get it off. But hand and back driver. That's what I got. That actually does sound super handy for vintage machinery because I run into that stuff a lot when I buy old stuff at auctions or estate sales. I have one for my tool restoration. Yeah, they're cheap. Very useful. Cool. Uh, Zach, do you remember yours? Did everybody else go already? No, I'm just coming back. Go for it. Sorry, I'm just trying to get my video ready for YouTube, so I'll I'll stop doing that and I'll start focusing. So somebody else go. (laughs) What you got, Rex? Uh, So uh, mine for the week is going to be the Vaughn Bear Saw. You can grab these on Amazon. I put a link in the description. It's basically a Japanese-style pull saw um, with a replaceable blade and a little plastic handle. And um, I'm usually a Western tool guy. I'm a push saw sort of guy, but I got one of these. They cost $21 and they'll rip, they'll cross cut, they'll go through a two by four, they're fine enough for joinery and you can flush cut with them. And even though it's completely different than like the back saws I usually use, it's become my go-to for so many shop tasks, especially for its cheapness. It's actually historically known as a, uh, as a Turkish saw. Oh, no joke. Because it's halfway between the West, the Eastern Japanese straight handle where you hold it with two hands and a Western where it's a grip style, but gripped in line. So this is actually based on a historical tool form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a Turkish oh, shop, which is no idea. I thought some industrial designer just cooked this up. No, it's actually um, then based off of an earlier style, which is the Egyptian saw. Wow. So, okay. That's a very, very old style. Of saw. See, James, you should write, you should write a book on like the history of hand tools. I would, <laughs> I would seriously, I mean, I would, I would read that. I'd have that. That's like make a good coffee table book with pictures and historical references. I'd be all over that. Yeah, actually, um, Bearcat saw, he's about to start um, listing Turkish saw, Turkish style saws for his saws. I don't have to pick one of those up because I do love this one. Yeah, it's it's if you like Western saws, but you want a pole saw, it's that great balance between. Huh. Cool. Uh, well, I have to actually go with um, something that I've overlooked, and I realized I haven't actually used this as my favorite tool of the week, and it is the Veritas Twin School Tin Twin Screw Vice. It's the vice I have on the end of my bench, and uh, I use it literally every single day. Um, in some cases, hundreds of times in a day. And it is a phenomenal quick vice. And it is it has become the vice I use more than anything else. And I have, what, 15 different vices I have at my disposal <laughs> in my shop. And I, I use it constantly for everything. And it, there there's very little that I can't do with it. Yeah. So definitely my go-to vice. So, Zach, do you have one? Uh, yeah. It's not – I don't think it's what I made a mental note of. But it's, it's a great choice nonetheless. I'm going to go with – popsicle sticks get yourself next time you Uh, go to the craft store or you know the popsicle stick store get yourself a bag of popsicle (laughs) sticks i have like the 50 or 100 thing and i use it all the time for um when i don't want my fingers to get icky (laughs) 
no um when, when i'm mixing up like i use it all the time for epoxy that's like the that's what yeah. i use it for like 90 percent of the time all those river tables that i do i mix it up with um, popsicle sticks no uh, but so it's it's not that not that popsicle sticks aren't cheap enough but I, i'm in the same boat but every time i go to starbucks i just take all of the wooden stirrers from the station and just put them in my pocket and walk out <laughs> Um, and I've actually been doing this for so long that when we go, sometimes my wife will just scoop them up and hand them to me because she gets embarrassed when I do it. So she does it to head me off at the pass. So popsicle sticks are cheap, but Starbucks is free. But you probably have to buy that terrible coffee when you go. I have just walked in and grabbed them and walked out again. Um, I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> called- it, but I've, I've done it. Thievery. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I go for Korean barbecue with a friend of mine all the time, and he distracts the waitress, and I take all the chopsticks from the front desk and walk out, and then we split them up afterwards. Chopsticks. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm terrible. That's frowned upon. See, I, uh, yeah. I have uh, the kids, and whenever they eat popsicles, they know that they put their popsicle sticks in my shop, and they, wow, they actually ones. they eat popsicles at about the same rate that I use popsicle sticks, and it's worked out perfectly for years. Hmm. <laughs> I do that with toothbrushes, which is also kind of gross. But you can never have too many—you can never have too many nylon brushes. Someone goes to throw away a toothbrush in my house. I'm like, up, oh, up, oh, up! Oh, that goes down in the shop. Come on, come on, Daddy needs that. That's yogurt cups with me. Yeah. I use them for finish and mixing up epoxy and stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we have used up enough time, and uh, we're sorry for taking all of your valuable time today, but we are glad you spent it with us. So I do want to say a huge thank you to our uh, guest, Rex Kruger, and you can find out more about him if you go to youtube.com backslash channel backslash Rex Kruger, or just search for Rex Kruger. And it's K-R-U-E-G-E-R. Ding, ding, ding. And your what's the name of your book again? Uh, it's called One Week to Wood Turning. And you can just grab that on Amazon or you can go to rexkruger.com slash book. And I dropped a link in the show notes so you can see it there. Fantabulous. Well, thank you for coming on today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you guys very much for having me. I've been listening for, I think, as long as the podcast has existed. And I've always <laughs> loved it. Cool. Well, this has been another good week. And if you'd like to find out more, you can follow us wherever podcasts are normally held. And if you'd like to join us live, we record most Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern time or 9 Central time for me because I'm the only one in Central time and I have to. Okay, enough of that. (laughs) So thank you for all. And until next time, have a wonderful day. See you later. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for listening to The Creators Collective. We publish weekly on Thursdays in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can follow us on social media pages everywhere at Creators Collective. We're also live streaming every week on Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Just look up the YouTube channel to join in on the fun of the live chat and get your questions answered live. And until next time, keep on creating.